Rising Star Podcast with your host, Kelly Hughes. On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Noah Hoffeld. He's got both a single out, Born for America, and a new album called Mobile Home. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk, oh, maybe about the cello, about upstate New York, and hopefully where humanity is going. So welcome to the show, Noah. Thanks so much for having me, Kelly. You know, I have to ask these deep questions because I, I think cello players have all the answers. <laughs> I wish that were true. <laughs> hey, on your new single, I know it's very piano-based. I mean, you're very much the classic singer-songwriter, you know, there at the piano. And I think the video does such a good job of capturing just a very sensitive, you know, moment. Um, how did this video come about? Uh, well, my friend and I, uh, who both live in the area up here in upstate New York, were looking for <clears throat> a quintessentially American setting for the video. And we found this tiny Grange Hall, which is like a town hall in a little village in a very rural setting. It's got a dairy farm right across the road from it. And it's like a 19th century structure that's been serving the community for a long time. And it has that beautiful simplicity inside. And it was interesting because we booked the hall without knowing too much about the piano that was in it. And um, when we got there, we had to move a bunch of stuff around from the stage. There was a crash there that the kids use in the holiday time. And then we, we dug out the piano and it turned out to be an old American upright grand by Chickering. So that just happened perfectly to align with what we were going for. And um, we took the panels off of the upright so you can see all of the hammers and everything inside kind of dancing along with the song. And uh, I, I just love what the director Piotr Redlinski did with it, with the layered kind of broken effect that he got in the video. It really speaks to me and I feel like it speaks to the meaning of the song. Well, the idea you did this in a Grange Hall, first of all, I bet a lot of young people don't even know what a Grange Hall is, but it's so <laughs> symbolic of, you know, the heartland and, you know, generations ago that used to be, you know, the meeting ground for so many community activities. Absolutely. They still have square dances in there. Oh, nice. I like that. Well, yeah. as an aside, I'll have to say my parents met each other at a Grange Hall dance in North Dakota. Wow, that is awesome. So probably <laughs> pretty similar kind of environment and uh, activities as they're putting on here. Well, you, you titled the song Born for America, and I know you're really commenting on, you know, what direction are we going? And, you know, did we fulfill the promise, you know, of the forefathers? Uh, you know, is this a hopeful song? Is this a, you know, a sad song? What, what do you think about the direction we're going? Well, I, Kelly, I think it's like a split right down the middle of those two polarities that you 
mentioned, I still feel a lot of hope um, for our country and our ability to fulfill its promise. And for me, that means creating equality for all people and good quality of living. Mm -hmm. That that is really what's enshrined in the founding fathers creation. At the same time, we are stumbling so badly in so many ways and so divided. As everybody knows right now, it's like division is reaching a new high. And that's kind of what I'm trying to comment on in, in the song is that kind of a schism between what's possible here and where we're at and the the kind of separation and glaring difference between those two things i i really feel like it's time for us to take a very hard look at ourselves and and see what's the path out of this spot that we're in I don't claim to have the answers, but I do like where um, some of our great leaders in the past have pointed. Um, For example, Martin Luther King. I really feel that it's possible for us to have a society in which everyone is looked after. And that to create that kind of society, we can't do it with hate in our hearts. You know, we we often think we know what's right and it's them over there who are doing the wrong thing. And it's so easy to fall into that, um, that kind of mental state. And I, I don't think that we will get where we need to go, which is to a, a more harmonious place by looking at others, whatever their beliefs may be, as the enemy. I just, I think that increases the division in our society and compounds all of the problems that we're trying to overcome. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me think of that slogan, think globally, act locally, when I look at your video for Born for America, it makes me think of this whole trend of people want to be local. They want to meet the people in their backyard and build up more of a grassroots community. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's one of the things that I've loved about living upstate. Um, at the beginning of COVID, we moved up, my girlfriend and I, from Brooklyn, New York. And although we did have kind of a neat little community in our building of artists in Brooklyn, still when you would, you know, walk down the street, you wouldn't know that many people. And up here, it's like, you know, everybody. And it's been very interesting because we definitely do not all agree on politics up here. I can imagine. Now, let me ask you a question, because I'm always curious, because that's such a big trend now. A lot of people are leaving the big city. 
because the country life, you know, has a lot of appeal to people in this day and age. Slower, know your neighbors, you know, especially leaving all that traffic, I'm sure, in New York. But yeah. then there's that whole divide of what are you bringing the things with you that the locals don't want? Meaning, you know, you're escaping maybe the hustle and bustle of Brooklyn. How much of that do you want to leave behind so you don't turn your new little paradise into a new Brooklyn? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, <clears throat> we haven't brought much with us from Brooklyn and there's not really a lot of people moving up to this particular area from the city. It's very rural and it's quite far from the city. And most of the city folks were looking for a way to get away that would allow them to still get to the city easily. And um, that's not really the case here. We're pretty far removed. And we've tried to really open our hearts to everybody here and create kind of meaningful connections with people. It's been especially interesting with the political divide, but understanding that we can't be enemies because up here actually everybody needs each other in a way that you don't need one another in the city. It's not the same. Like in the city, you know, you've got somebody when it snows heavily, the superintendent comes out with the snowblower and takes care of it. Up here, like our first year, we got a huge dump of snow, like right away. And our neighbor came over with his tractor and moved a bunch of it for us so that we could get around and get to our car and stuff. And it's that kind of um, fellowship that everybody relies on up here. Well, so isn't, people, part, part, well isn't part of the whole thing is people in theory want everyone to get along and, you know, be nice to each other. But the reality is you have to take that out of theory and actually practice it in those really mundane, you know, everyday ways, like just helping a neighbor out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think practice is the key word because it's also about softening our hearts and not judging. You know, it's so easy to judge the people that you disagree with. And it doesn't happen overnight that you could get to a place where that judgment drops away. It takes practice, like everyday practice and in all kinds of very mundane situations. Like when I go down to the Grange to vote and, you know, I see everybody who's voting exactly opposite to me to still exchange a friendly hello and understand that we're we're part of something that's bigger than that divide you know and i think that's what the country promises also is that there can be this plurality of beliefs and it's possible for everybody to coexist well it's a lot harder to dislike someone if you break bread with them at the grange hall 
Exactly. And that's exactly what they had. They had a bake sale, of course, from the church going on during the polling for the midterms. So people were eating cookies and soup and it was very cool. So moving from Brooklyn to upstate New York, how has that affected your songwriting? Well, I think I have some more peace of mind. And I'm also, you know, one thing that I noticed in Brooklyn is that I tend to kind of absorb the trends that I was hearing all around me. Um, I just personally very permeable to what I'm hearing. And like in Williamsburg, there was a rough trade um, record store right down the block by the East River. And they had a live venue in there and they had all the hippest kind of new hipster bands and artists singing in there. Um, I also saw Lucinda Williams there, which was amazing because it was very, very intimate. But you get this sense of like, okay, this is what music is supposed to sound like. It's supposed to be this kind of, you know, hipster vibe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and separating from that and moving up here has helped me to see that that is not the only paradigm. Like here, I'm not exposed to that kind of... Um, very it's a bit rigid actually like that way of thinking like everything should sound like this and um up here it's more open there's open space we live on a road that dead ends in state forest and it's oh, I nothing see. So but you're, trees. you're out there so you're yeah. really out there <laughs> yeah we are well in new york you know, uh, Brooklyn, you know, closer to the big city, you know, it seems like status is a little more important. Definitely. And I, I would think when you move out to the country, when suddenly, you know, you don't have to follow trends as much or you're as conscious uh, of status, what does that just do to your well-being? I found that to be very healing, Kelly, like just on a personal level. Like, I have a new hero in my life who is this 80-year-old man who walks, like, five miles a day down these country roads. And he takes his walk every single day. And he's not wearing anything fancy. He's not trying to impress anybody. In fact, he might not even see anybody the whole time that he's out. And I found it very liberating to kind of make a guy like that my North Star. Think, wow, you know, what if I achieved that kind of um, harmony with this life and with nature in a way that's, you know, not about trends, not about um, achieving... Uh, recognition from a certain kind of uh, status. It's it's been very interesting. And it is so funny that you know I, I hate to you know generalize, but you think of you know 
what we would call like the ivory towers, you know, yeah, academics talking about how they can solve all the social problems and whatnot. Yeah. But there seems to be that disconnect between studying it and just naturally living it. And it just seems like some people, they don't over-intellectualize it. They just automatically live this simpler lifestyle. Absolutely. Where, what sort of uh, situation do you live in? You know, I moved from a, a bigger town to a smaller town about 10 years ago from Seattle, still accessible. And I really like it. And I think part of it is, like you were saying, knowing your neighbors, just really getting to know the shop owners and, you know, everything's not like this faceless customer service world. You know, it's really nice to know the people running a small business. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Don't, and don't you like um, just something homegrown where, like you're saying, go to the Grange Hall, there's a bake sale, there's a holiday bazaar where don't you find, you know, there's creativity everywhere. And I think a lot of times in a small remote place, you find a lot of unexpected creativity. Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't really take the same shape that it does in Seattle or New York City. It's got, a, it has a different look to it. Um, but people are creative wherever you go and people are getting it out and engaging in whatever way they can. And it's very beautiful. Well, don't you find like when you're in a bigger town with artistic people, which is great. I mean, great groups of people to be with, but there's also this, you know, not, not the starving artist mentality, but more of, oh, you know, everyone's against artists and, you know, like there's some conspiracy. And then when you, I think, are just around people who, you know, maybe they are in the country working a full-time job and yet, you know, they still squeeze in time for a little musical group or a sewing group or this or that. Exactly. And then when you're not, yeah, and you're not so tied up in that identity, you just do it as opposed yes. to spending a few months thinking about doing it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or you sing in the church choir. There's a lot yeah. of that going on here. Or not, or not getting religious, but what they used to call the Protestant work ethic of, you know, there's just really no thought to delay it or to procrastinate. It's like, ju just do it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And a lack of self-consciousness. Yeah. Do you think artists sometimes dwell too much on the outcome? Um, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I can definitely resonate with that, you know, and I think that's that's kind of the challenge with releasing music also is to try to stay connected to the creative process and the creative aspect of it without getting overly hooked on the outcome. And that that goes for the creative process as well like one thing I really tried to do with mobile home and um, which my co-producer Mark Platty helped me enormously with was not to get stuck on details you know it's very easy for me to feel like it's got to be perfect 
Kelly, you know, I got to make it the best thing that I could ever possibly do. And that actually can lead to some not so nice results, you know, and um, where things are overproduced and overpolished and don't, you know, they're kind of lacking the raw energy of something that's vital and fresh and hasn't been stewed over a million times. Mm -hmm. And it's also very easy when you're, you know, this record was created um, partially in my home studio. It's like when you're not in a professional recording environment where you're paying by the hour and the pressure is high, the clock is ticking every moment when you're at home, it's very easy to just obsess, you know, maybe it would be better this way. No, let's try that way. Oh, it's better before. Let's go back to that, that kind of stuff. That's actually very destructive to just the creative act. And mm -hmm. I really, I, I credit Mark with keeping me moving, you know, and not tolerating that it was very, very good. Well, I'm very curious. Mark Platy is a pretty high-powered producer. You know, he's he's worked with David Bowie and you know lots of other you know really cool, cool bands. So, yeah, uh, how did you guys get together? Um, it actually happened in 2014 through the drummer on this album, who's Doug Yell, who's also a tremendous, tremendous artist, who's out on the road with Joe Jackson most of the time. I I was playing cello in a, you know, just like a gigging situation where I had to show up and play for some music that was being organized for a concert. And I saw Doug at the rehearsal. And at the time I was finishing up my first LP, which is called Play Human. And I just had a feeling, you know, I should ask Doug if he knows any great mix engineers, because I definitely can't mix this myself and really do justice to it. And sure enough, when I asked him, he was like, yeah, I know this guy who, you know, mixed so by Peter Gabriel. And, uh, oh, wow. and then, yeah. And then, you know, there's Mark Platy. He co-produced a bunch of records with David Bowie. He, you know, he worked with Prince, The Cure. I was like, are you kidding me? That is exactly what I need in my life. And he connected me with Mark. And I sent some songs to him, to Mark. And he was very, very gracious and kind and agreed to take on mixing project. And I was just blown away by what he brought to Play Human. Mm -hmm. Ever since then, that was 2014, I've asked him to work on, you know, as many things as I can have him participate in. And that that included a cello album cello and piano album that we released last year which is called love rules and it's it's by my project with wells hanley who's a terrific pianist it's called Bodie heart and mark egan plays fretless on that album who's another 
giant and uh, Arjun Brueggemann is playing tablas and Mark mixed the album and it just it sounds so beautiful people can't get over the mix when they hear it um everybody you know who who i've talked to who's a musician or is really involved in music from an industry perspective they they just are blown away but by, by uh what mark did so when it came time to uh produce mobile home it was very natural for me to ask mark and thankfully he was available it kind of uh it got pretty crazy pretty quickly because we were planning to do it in a normal way in a studio in williamsburg brooklyn and just as we got started this was march 2020 everything came tumbling down you know mm -hmm. with covid mm -hmm. and we wound up having we were like okay well we can stop and just put this on the shelf or you know and wait for things to change whenever that will be or we can do this remotely and it turned out that doug yell had a drum studio in his apartment where he could record and mark had his studio i have my studio and the three of us would meet on facetime and chat about you know what kind of approach we would use for each song mm -hmm. and um and then doug would send us different takes for the different songs and we would think okay is this one better that one better and that's how it all started nice you know, when COVID hit, one of, one of the, uh, I, I guess, uh, good parts was suddenly country life seemed more appealing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so we, we, we almost never needed to wear a mask except when we were going to the grocery store half an hour away. Wow. So it was just open space. So your album title, Mobile Home, again, that, that could work on several levels. But to me, you know, I can think of moving into the country and bringing a mobile home, you know, just finding a plot of land. I, I guess in some respects, there's still that freedom aspect to a mobile home. Or if you get tired of where you live, just hitch it up to a truck and move it somewhere else. Yeah. it It's really funny because... I actually wrote the song before we were even thinking of moving. Uh, we were still in Brooklyn when the song came to me. And I was also, I was traveling on the road playing cello uh, with Krishnadas at the time. And I was in my hotel room with a little keyboard and my laptop carving out the synth parts in it, in the title track. And it was really, really strange, Kelly, because we wound up, we searched for a long time for a place to live upstate. And there was tremendous competition and like serious scarcity of places within our budget. 
and we wound up moving into a mobile home. It's so weird. Well, what so, would they say in Brooklyn? <laughs> I think they'd be <laughs> generally envious because it's twice as big as our place in Brooklyn and half as much money. I like you that. Know? And did, did did it take a big uh, change in mindset to, to think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be a mobile home owner? Um. Yeah, I, we're just renting, actually, so I didn't have to commit on that level. But it didn't take long before we realized how comfortable it is. And the layout is terrific. Also, there's just a lot of space. So and it has this little office that I've made into my home studio, which is fantastic because I've been able to do a lot of remote recording for composers, songwriters. It's made it really you know, financially feasible to live way up here. And, and that's is that hard, is that hard to, well, is that hard to tell your friends back in Brooklyn? Because there's people have such these rigid mindsets of, you know, what's acceptable to them, or this is how we live, you know, and you want to think of the broader thing of, you know, if people want to get along and, you know, get to know a wide variety of people, just knowing not everyone in the country lives in downtown Manhattan. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's a special time right now, and people really do understand. And a lot of the people that I talk to, especially musicians, are like, wow, I wish I were living in the country. And a lot of my friends did move out of the city. There was a really big exodus of musicians and other artists and um, people really get it. The other thing about mobile home is that I'm using it as a metaphor for the planet, you know, that we're all on this mobile home together and we all have to take responsibility for it. And uh, we share this place and it's really, really important that we uh, take care of the planet. That's like the other message that's embedded in the image. And the album cover is like that. You see it, Earthrise photo. And uh, it's that's our mobile home. The mobile home image is about the planet also, and that it's this this place that we're all sharing. It's it's a mobile home that's cruising through the galaxy. And we all have to take care of the planet because we are sharing it. And it's our home. It's the only home that we have. Uh, that's the image that I'm trying to paint in the song. And I'm just curious again, just, you know, how your mindset is changing or evolving. You know, what do you think is just the biggest change in, in just how you view your day-to-day -day life now? Well, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you look out at the mountains, instead of looking across the street at other, um, you know, brick buildings, it really does a lot to chill you out and calm you down. And um, you see that there's a slower way of living that isn't all just about zipping around all the time and 
also, you know, being so connected to your device all the time, there's something else that's possible. And I feel that with the cello also, it's like one thing that I felt here playing the cello is, first of all, I don't have to worry about any of my neighbors getting upset that I'm practicing because nobody mm -hmm. can hear me. Nice. Yeah. And it's also, it's like I can slow down with the instrument and really experience how beautiful it is and how it's vibrating and how it exists in three dimensions as opposed to a lot of the screen kind of focus time that we're all engaged in. Having the cello in this particular you know, natural environment is a very special combination for me. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. won't it be interesting 10 years from now to look back and, and see how this changed your music? It will be very interesting, Kelly. Very interesting. I'm interested. I've started to write the follow-up album. And, you know, it has some of the same elements as I was working with before when we lived in Brooklyn. But I can see it's also got a kind of spaciousness that maybe it didn't have before. Mm -hmm. Now, have you started mixing with some of the local musicians there? I have some friends that I played with. It's really, really wonderful. Like there's in in the warmer weather, there's a barn jam that happens. And it's been great to go to that and can play folk music with those guys. It's been really special experience. And playing with uh, my friend Jim Router, who has a show on the local radio station. I went and uh, visited his show. We did some playing on air together. That was also just very like folk acoustic guitar with cello. And that was lovely. So really do you find nice. you're, you're doing like less work with a bow and just more plucking on the strings? Um, I still really like to bow. It's so expressive. You know, it's great to pluck and to be able to play that role for people where there's, you know, it's like having a bass player in the room to a certain degree. But it would be hard for me to do that exclusively. The The possibilities that the bow offers me are just so open and varied and there's so much room for subtle variations of color and expression, dynamics, um, emotion, all of those things. The bow is just such an incredible invention. See, as a string player at this awkward place out in the country where you either have to go big with, with, with an upright bass or go small with a little fiddle. Yeah, I think I would take the fiddle because I've been carrying <laughs> the cello around since I was nine years old. And let me tell you, it definitely becomes a thing every time you, you know, pick it up and put it on your back. You're like, wow. <laughs> a fiddle would be so nice right now. Isn't that what's so cool about the old school country dance bands? They always had a really good fiddle player. 
Definitely. Fiddle is amazing what people can do. There's a there's Absolutely. one particular guy named Mark O'Connor who I just love. Have you heard him? No, I haven't heard him. Oh, you got to check him out, Kelly. He is wonderful. He plays often with this bass player named Edgar Meyer. You might have heard of He's They have, it's like a bluegrass kind of vibe. And the two of them are insanely gifted musicians. Also, Chris Teeley, the mandolin player, plays with them. And sometimes Yo-Yo Ma even sits in on the cello. Oh, my. Yeah. It's really, really great. Was Yo-Yo Ma an influence to you? He was, definitely. I met him when I was 11 at Tanglewood in Massachusetts, and he was so kind. And he, I went with a couple of other cellists, like, you know, we were all like 11, 12, 13, and we went backstage. He let us play his Stradivarius. It's oh my. So, so amazing. You know, such an open spirit, such a beautiful cellist and an amazing ambassador for music in the world that he is. And I think that's very inspiring that he's kind of taken on being more than just a cellist. Um, he's he's like he's representing music to the world and being an advocate for it and also um, bringing in other kinds of music onto the concert stage like Persian music or um, you know African music blending those things with uh, traditional Western instruments and offering that up to uh, classical audiences I think that's very powerful work because it it breaks through all of the rigid kinds of notions that audiences classical audiences can have about what music should be and i just love that he's doing that did you find when you studied at juilliard that they were pretty open or, or do you think they were pretty rigid with what they expected of you Back in the day, it was quite uh, the latter. It was a pretty rigid place, and it was kind of just creeping out of the 19th century. There were a lot of teachers there who, you know, had studied with uh, these great 19th century masters. And, you know, like one of my teachers, Joseph Sook, he said, yes, I sat in Debussy's lap. But, you know, a lot of those people, they came with very rigid attitudes about pedagogy and about um, how music should be performed. That verging on draconian kind of approach. These days things have changed a lot at the school. There's a much more open-minded kind of approach, including they created a jazz program at the school finally, thank goodness, which you know brings in our own Western art music. That's the most important invention in music that came from our country and um, brings it, gives it a home at Lincoln Center and opens up that 
school to a whole lot of amazing artists and jazz. It's different for sure. It, back when I was a student, you couldn't have that. It was like jazz. What's that? You know, that's not our music. Well, whenever I think of formal music education, I don't know. I, I think back to that movie Whiplash, you know, with that. I didn't see it, director. but I heard. <laughs> Where it's like, you know, you just uh, just have to weed the people out and just be as harsh as possible. Do you, what, what do you think works best? This just ultra discipline harshness or maybe a, a little more uh, loving in the mix? Well, I don't think that being harsh and cruel with anybody is the way to go with anything. I just don't think that you achieve what you want to achieve that way, which is to have a strong student with a strong psyche who can take on the challenges of being in a very, very competitive uh, profession. You need to bolster people's self-confidence. And you, of course, need to give guidance and criticism along the way there's no way to train somebody to play their instrument or to be a vocalist without being very firm about what needs to happen on the instrument and clear about it but it's got to happen with love and support there's no way you can uh, take those two things away from each other i I think that's the way forward. And from what I've heard from all of my colleagues who are thriving in the music business, that's the kind of teacher that they had was somebody mm -hmm. very supportive. Mm -hmm. You know, you especially see it in like these ballet movies with just these tyrannical instructors <laughs> and and to the point where, you know, it's like this military boot camp feel. And it just seems like you can understand discipline, but when it moves so far in that direction, uh, where's the art, you know, where, where, where's the, the heart and soul of it all? Absolutely. Actually, um, one of my favorite authors, Tolstoy, wrote a book about this called What is Art? And in that book, he comes down very, very strongly against that kind of rigid, draconian, and cruel behavior that people participate in in the arts. He says that it's completely against the spirit of art and music and should not have any place in the arts. And I, when I read that book at Juilliard, actually, in humanities class, that, that made a strong impression on me and i never forgot reading that well since moving from the bigger city out to the country do you find your art taking on a, a gentler more organic feel um i do but at the same time i still like you know working with synthesizers and um creating edgy beats things like that. I don't know that those are going to leave my system anytime soon. They're just, it's part of the language that I grew up with, Kelly. You know, mm -hmm. I grew up in New York City 
and it was very edgy. And, you know, like they say, you can take the boy out of Brooklyn, but you can't take the Brooklyn out of the boy. And ah. yeah. And that's, that's kind of the way I feel, you know, when I was growing up, I was listening to everything. I love the clash. I love David Bowie. I love the Beatles. I love Michael Jackson. You know, I listened to just about everything, including, of course, all the great classical composers. And that music, you know, I go to CBGB from time to time mm -hmm. to hear really, you know, thrashing punk rock. Mm -hmm. That stuff made an impression on me. And I think it is kind of important in a way um, to retain that because one of the things I try to think about is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to convey certain messages lyrically uh, through my songwriting that have to do with healing the planet, um, inclusivity, tolerance, um, all kinds of human values, kindness. But those things maybe, you know, could feel kind of mushy, but the people that I'm trying to reach are not um, people who are dealing in that kind of softness. I really mm -hmm. want to reach people who are um, living with a more edgy experience in their lives, which I think a lot of people are these days. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the one thing uh, the ironies of moving out to the country, you know, people think it's this kinder, gentler way of living. But at the same time, when you're living closer to the land, you know, you get to see up close. You know, there's a, a bit of wildness to the wilderness, and you know, you see you know, the animals interacting, and you know, I, I think the best thing would be for someone from Brooklyn. Move out to the country and see how quickly that cat becomes feral. Like the first time you see your, your precious cat kill over and bring it back to the house. Yeah. I mean, can you hear me, Kelly? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you know, even yesterday, we were hearing, you know, seeing deer outside the house. And then later on, there were coyotes howling and wow. having a having a party, you know. <laughs> and I know what that means, which is that the deer are becoming dinner. And <laughs> yeah. that, yeah, that is a very harsh aspect of nature. And, um, you know, I had this experience when we first moved up here, like I was telling you about that snowstorm, it dumped three feet of snow during the night. At 5 a.m., my girlfriend nudged me. She's like, it's cold in here, what's going on? So it looked at the furnace and the furnace had cut off because the chimney was covered with snow and the furnace could not, you know, breathe. And I had to get up on the roof with a headlamp on in the middle of a blizzard 
and shovel out the uh, the chimney from the furnace. I'd never had an experience like oh that in yeah. Brooklyn, you know, and it it's not it's not easy, you know, and it's not always gentle, like you say. There's definitely a wide variety of experience up here. Some of it very gentle and bucolic, lovely. Um, some of it not so much. You know, people are saying one thing about this new generation raised on smartphones and a, a lot of modern conveniences. They're, they're saying if you're too comfortable, if you don't have enough challenges, it does something to your psyche. And there is something healthy about having to, you know, shovel your uh, fireplace out or just to be a little closer to your day-to-day -day survival. Definitely. And my girlfriend has had an amazing garden that she was growing food in for us. I tried to help her out. I was basically the lackey in the garden and that was great. And she was working. She constructed the whole thing. These raised beds it was very impressive. And but then we're able to eat, you know, directly from the garden, which is pretty amazing experience, you know, to go out before dinner and pick kale or whatever it is and cook it. I mean, there's one part of the perspective of living in the country, not that the people care differently, but a lot of people don't have the luxury to complain about a lot of things when you're so occupied on survival. Yeah. Um, and, and I hate to go back to, you know, the ivory tower people, but it's also that luxury to have a lot of time to dwell on things. You know, wh where is the balance between the two? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really true. I One thing that I know musicians are very lucky in is that they have a very clear discipline in their lives. Like all, all the musicians that I know who are achieving on a high level of musicianship, it's happened because of ongoing, really nose to the grindstone kind of lifestyle. And those people don't sit around, you know, contemplating their navel. They just don't. There's too much to do and the music is too important to them and getting it out into the world is too important to them for them to dwell on complaints or just uh, kind of spinning around in a circle. Music is especially uh, great in that regard because the discipline goes hand in hand with creation. It's you can't have like a great instrumentalist. I think I heard, you know, Eric Clapton before he was Eric Clapton. He spent a year in his room. Wow. Like literally he'd been playing for years, but then he was like, OK, this is it. I'm just going to practice all the time. And for a whole year, he just sat in his room playing. And then he came out and started to make the huge splash that he was going to make, mm -hmm. you know, and that's true for anybody who's um, 
doing something of value in, in music, it's because they've coupled that really, really strong discipline with their creative inspiration. Like they say, it's, you know, 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. But do you think that's where you're at now? You know, to some extent, you've removed yourself from a lot of the distractions of the big city, and you can be a little bit more of a hermit and just concentrate on your musical craft? Um, yeah, I think that's been one big blessing of getting out of the city and being up here is there is a lot of a lot less distraction. I still get distracted with silly stuff in my phone or whatever, Kelly. It's like my mind, unfortunately, is not as focused as I'd like it to be. But that being said, there is a kind of focus and quiet where I'm able to tune things out or they're tuned out for me. There's just not, I'm not looking at billboards and advertising, you know, when I step outside. I'm not hearing jackhammers when I wake up in the morning. It's just the level of sensory input is way down. And that's, that's very good for me, not just as a musician, but also as a person. And personally, I'm very into meditation. And doing that here has been like amazing for that, having the quiet and the lack of input, constant bombardment from the environment, just to be able to quiet down and focus, follow the breath, watch the mind, all of those techniques that kind of bring you deeper and quieter inside of yourself. It's, it's been a real blessing up here for that. So now I picture you up there on the verge of creating some great new musical piece for cello and then then dropping everything to play angry birds <laughs> that's a great image i don't particularly get into video games but you know there's plenty that's distracting but i love that image that's hilarious <laughs> so, so what's your biggest temptation you know what distracts you the most um, you know, I would say getting caught up in others' achievements is really one of the things that is distracting to me and prevents me from just doing my best. Uh, that's one thing that I'm really trying to change in my life is, you know, get on social media, for example, and you want sort of has to be on social media these days as a musician, as I'm sure you know, because that's how you're promoting your work. And I have to post about the things that I'm doing. That's how I stay visible to people. And that brings opportunities my way. But it's very easy. And I know a lot of people of all kinds go through this where they get on social media and they see that people are posting about oh this great thing happened to me you know i i just got a grammy award i'm nominated for two grammys this year blah 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 
that kind of stuff, it does tend to hook me sometimes. And I wish it didn't, but just honestly, I'm trying to get to a place where I realize like, okay, I'm doing me and what other people are doing, they're doing them. And um, I just have to keep going. I have to keep reaching for the highest in my work and follow my sense of purpose and joy in creating, which is really where it's at. And I, I don't want to be caught up in that kind of mind game. At this point, isn't it almost as special, you know, to be nominated for a Grammy, but it'd almost be just as cool at this point to be, you know, asked to play the wedding march on your cello at a at a wedding ceremony at the Grange Hall. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love those invitations. And it's very, it's very rich to be able to participate, you know, in that way, whenever, whenever that happens. And also, you know, music has always been a part of daily life. It's not just something that's in the academy, like you've been speaking about, you know, dating back to the dawn of time, it's been a part of people's rituals and their their daily lives like weddings and you know um, all kinds of celebrations and the difficult times like funerals mm -hmm. and that's that's part of the beauty of music is that we recognize that it has that power to kind of transform those events into something that's even more meaningful and transcendent and music is very, very powerful in that way. See, now I'm imagining you playing on the cello. Uh, there is a season, turn, turn, turn. I love that song and I love <laughs> that phrase. I was just quoting that to somebody. You know, <laughs> I love nice. that. Yeah, it's a classic. Did the well, birds write that? Yeah. So good. Oh, yeah. Cl classic song. Well, hey, before we wrap up here, uh, what's your website people can go to and, and learn more about you? My website is noahhoffeld.com. That's N-O-A-H-H-O, two Fs like Frank, E-L-D like David, noahhoffeld.com. And then besides your music, do you sell like merch on there? Like, can you get a, a bomber jacket with your name on it? <laughs> Actually, we just designed a t-shirt, so that's going to come online any day. Excellent. And and I, do you like have any like side products? Like, do you raise bee and sell your own line of honey or something? You know, you're giving me some ideas now, Kelly. <laughs> it's all about the merch nowadays, right? Definitely is. Definitely is. Well, I want to give you the last word. So here, here's my final thing, because I, I don't know if I'm totally off the mark, but I just have this picture of you up in the country there and living this ideal sort of Walden Pond experience. Yes. So uh, which I hopefully you'll write a book about someday. But I, I would say, you know, representing, you know, musicians with a conscience you know, your song Born for America, 
you know, wanting to create a better America, you know, not throwing in the towel, but thinking there is hope. You know, what is the special place that you think musicians have to really make meaningful change? Uh, that's a great question, Kelly. I think that musicians have always been a part of change, whether that's, you know, protest songs of the 60s, earlier anthems like We Shall Overcome that have been so important to people. And, you know, one thing I've been very influenced by is classic rock from the late 60s and 70s. There's a lot of um, messages that people were sharing with the public and helping the public to move to the next level of consciousness. And, uh, you know, like a song like What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. Amazing amazing song that raises people's awareness of what's happening in the world and of people's struggle. And we all as musicians have that capability to open up people's minds and help to move the society to the next, next level of growth. That's my feeling. Nice. Well, his name is Noah Hoffeld. The current single is Born for America from the album Mobile Home, uh, co-produced by Mark Platty. You've got uh, a lot to make us think about. And, and I think, you know, going back to this whole idealized, you know, getting back to nature and getting back to something sincere and real, it seems like something that we, we all aspire to. And may, maybe that's healthy for us. I don't know, but... Hey, I, I just want people to listen to your music and, you know, let it sink in, you know, in this fast paced world to drop everything, drop the dist distractions, drop the phone, you know, plug in Born for America and just really give it a solid listen and, and let, let your message sink in. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's, it's been really great talking to you and thinking together. This has been the Rising Star Podcast with your host, Kelly Hughes.